Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps. And then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. A big man, huh? A big one. We need big ideas and we need them now. What a good idea. This is the Jesse Kelly Show on KPRC 950. Here's Jesse Kelly. I am happy 
to announce this is my last day here. I'm just kidding. Not in that way. I love you, KPRC. I'm not going anywhere, KPRC listeners. Don't freak out. On Monday, when you turn on this show, 5 o'clock Central Time, and you want your history story, and you want your goofing off, and all that, I'm going to be right here talking to you. However, this is going to be an open marriage now, people. I realize we're a bit of a family show, but we got to go open marriage now. Meaning, you're sharing me from now on, starting Monday. This is the last show. I'm all yours. On Monday, we go national syndication, nationwide. I have a plenty of people I, sh- I could thank for that, but really, I just want to focus on myself. 1692, New England. Probably ringing some bells for some of you. The Salem Witch Trials. Let's hold up real quick, though. Before we get to that, there are a couple things you need to understand about this time because like so many things that we look back on you study something or you read about something you watch a documentary on something you get all these details and you learn all these things about it or maybe you learn about it in history class oh this guy did this and that person did that and this but then over time as your brain gets filled up with a million and one other things things become extremely simplified oversimplified or if you've never learned about it at all, what do you know about it? Oh, uh, they, they, we, we, everyone got accused of being witches and we burned them all. I mean, that's, that's what people think, right? And nobody was burned. That didn't happen. But something we don't talk about enough going into things like that is what happened before that. A couple of things you need to understand. One, this was a Puritan society. Now, A lot of people think they know what the Puritans believe, but this is an essential part of what Puritans believed. And understand that Puritans basically were the government. There was some loose government, but this is 1692. There is no United States as of this point. We are a colony, an English colony. And the Puritans are kind of running the show. And part of what the Puritans believed was... You're going to hell, probably. And there is no saving faith. You don't know whether or not you're going to burn in hell for eternity when you die until you die. And there's no way to know. Sorry. If that seems a little dark, it's a little dark. If that seems like something that would create some stress in your life, it does. And that was part of it. And you were required by law to go to church. There's no waking up Sunday morning. Oh, honey, I just got feeling a little sick today. No, 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 no. You're going to church. Required by Puritan law. Very different society. Women, much more so then than today. And I realize this still exists today. That's just biology felt extreme amounts of pressure to get married. 
That was not a, well, I'll wait and settle down. Let me get my career going thing. I just need to find the perfect guy thing. Now, yes, they wanted to find the perfect guy just like you, but it was a severe source of stress if you wanted to get married and couldn't. Also, smallpox epidemic. We were just coming off of that. Getting these people extremely familiar with death and dire situations. And you start praying. And you start going to fortune tellers. And you start looking for answers. Oh, and did I mention Indians? This is a war-torn part of New England. We don't think about it that way. We always think about everybody's in a bonnet and daddy's out back chopping firewood. And yes, there was an occasional uprising. No, 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 no. The French and the English combined with the Indians were always fighting at this point in time. Huge, long-lasting, bloody, gross wars. On top of the fact... There's no news. Now, you might be saying to yourself, woohoo, that was a better time. And I can't necessarily say you're wrong, but there's not even a newspaper. Things travel word of mouth. And you know that old game you used to play in school, or at least you've heard about it, telephone, where you all line up in a line, and the person on one end gets it whispered in his ear, the dog is chasing the cat. And that's just, it's always a simple sentence like that. And he has to whisper in the person to his rights ear, the dog is chasing the cat. And that person whispers, the dog is chasing the cat. And you go down the line of 25 people. And by the time it gets to the end, they check the end and see what he heard. And he said, there's a fat hog out back. That's how the game works. And that's real life. Everybody puts their own spin on things. People hear what they want to hear. Things don't come across right. So rumor mills travel like that. Now, Mercy Lewis was her name. 1676, we're backtracking just a little bit. She's living with her parents, her grandparents, her cousins, her uncles. The Wabanaki Indians descend on them and kill everybody except for her and her parents. They barely manage to escape. She gets out. They escape that particular area. Then some years later, 1689, the Wabanaki Indians again attack where she lives. This time they kill her parents. This is a child who has grown up and known nothing but death and destruction of everybody she loves. She moves to a little town called Salem Village. Now, let me clarify for you. Salem Village is not the Salem you know today, and it wasn't back then either. There was Salem, and then there's Salem Village. The Salem Witch Trials really took place in Salem Village, the tiny place. And in that tiny place, there was a man in charge. The man in charge was the minister. His name was Samuel Paris. He was the Puritan minister. That he had a couple daughters, Elizabeth and Abigail. They were 9 and 11. And these daughters, for whatever reason, faked, not faked, epileptic, epileptic, who knows, started to have seizures, outbursts of screaming, talk about throwing themselves into the family fire. 
Minister starts looking around, thinking to himself, well, this isn't good. Fast forward a little bit. These girls, they say they're bewitched. And not only do they say they're bewitched, um, they start naming names. And they're random names, too. Well, this slave is one of the witches. Her name was uh, Tituba. Oh, this well-to-do person, she's one of the witches, too. This person's a witch. This person's a witch. And before you know it, a fire has started and a special court has been appointed and we're putting people on trial, accusing them of being witches without evidence. Then the hanging started. But that's not the craziest thing about the Salem Witch Trial. I'll tell you what that thing is in just a second. accusing people of being witches. They're accusing men. They're accusing other women. They're accusing ministers. They're accusing slaves. They're accusing all kinds of people. You remember I brought up Mercy Lewis, whose parents and grandparents and cousins and uncles were all killed by Indians. She was one of the worst offenders. She accused people, and the people she accused died. Six of them. Swinging from the gallows. One of them, his name was Giles Corey, was tortured to death. Essentially, they pressed him by stones. It was a medieval form of torture. They laid you down and put heavy stones on you to get you to confess to something. Well, he knew he was going to hang either way, so this dude just didn't confess to anything and did it until he died. (laughs) What a beast. One of the people she accused died in jail. Ugly, ugly event in history. It went from spring of 1692 to about fall of that year. And then people really started waking up in New England saying, what what are we doing here? This is not right. We're accusing people. What? This is not right. Five years later, 10 years later, they started actually giving reparations to the families of the people who were killed. But two huge things stood out to me when reading about Salem witch trials. One. Most of the people who went to the gallows, it was the poor people. Oh, plenty of rich, well-to-do people got convicted, but because Salem Village was just a tiny little place, the jail they housed most of these people in was in Boston. You know, a bunch of the rich people managed to, quote, escape jail in Boston. And look, let's not be naive here. 
they escaped because somebody put a large purse full of a lot of coinage in the jailer's hands to look the other way. But you know, the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else when reading about the Salem witch trials, it wasn't the young women going crazy and breaking under interviews because that's what people do. They break under questioning. They didn't torture these people to confess, by the way. There's some sleep deprivation, but contrary to popular belief, they're not sitting them in there pulling their fingernails out. It was a young girl sitting there surrounded by, you know, the quote cops of the time. Are you a witch? Are you a witch? And just flat out finally confessing, even when they weren't. Oh, yeah, I am. And guess what? Sarah is too. It wasn't that. It wasn't the hangings. It wasn't the torture. It wasn't the Puritan stuff. It wasn't the Indian attacks. None of that stuff. None of that stuff stood out to me as the thing that I found most shocking about it. You know what I found most shocking? You remember those two girls? Elizabeth and Abigail, the 9- and 11-year-old girls. Do you know how they discovered, quote, unquote, that they were bewitched? You ready for this? The town doctor diagnosed them as being bewitched. I'm not bagging on doctors. I'm not. As I've always said, I understand this is controversial. Doctors are just like teachers. Most of them are utterly useless or average, but you get one great one. It will change or save your life, the rest of your life. I had plenty of useless teachers. Every teacher's a saint. That's a bunch of crap. I had a bunch of teachers that clearly did not want to be there, but I had one or two great ones that I still stay in contact with to this day. You want to know why? You get to geek out on history with me every single night. You want to know why? Because I had one great history teacher in the fifth grade. And while the rest of them were, okay, class, open up your books to 55, this guy would storm into the classroom with a stick in his hands and say, we're going to talk about Spartans cutting people's heads off today. One year, one year of that. And I fell in love with history the rest of my life. One great teacher. And doctors are the same. Doctors are not saints. Doctors are not gods. Doctors are not all-knowing. Doctors have prescribed heroin for coughs. Doctors have held down babies who were teething and lanced their gums to try to relieve the pain. Doctors are just people. They're just people. And so when I see things like Dr. Fauci wants a national stay-at-home order. And I also see things like Dr. Fauci, he is polling better than anyone in the United States of America for popularity. I'm mortified. I am mortified. You remember that show we did a few days ago, the Milgram experiment with the guy in the lab coat telling you to shock him, and I see how it happens. You all see a doctor, and he sounds reasonable. 
And look, Dr. Fauci is probably a wonderful doctor at stopping the spread of a disease. He probably is. But America is not a disease. We are treating America as if it's a disease. Dr. Fauci is an advisor. He is not a czar. He is not an emperor. Dr. Fauci, now, two weeks from now, end of April, is going to walk in front of Trump's office. He's going to sit down at Trump's desk. And he is going to recommend every single time we need more quarantines. We need more this. People have to stay home. People have to do this. We need more quarantines. We need more quarantines. We have to keep the nation shut down. Why? Because he has one interest and one interest in the world. And that interest is stopping the spread of the disease. That's fine. He absolutely should have a seat at the table. He should be listened to by President Trump. He should not always have his advice followed. That's insane because America is many things. America is not a disease. America is so many different things we can't list them all. And we're choking all of those things to death by treating America as if it's a disease. And I am floored, floored at how many people have accepted this as being necessary. You understand something, and I'm going to give this to you straight here. Me and my community college education, almost three years, not to brag. You understand that not a single person on the planet says we're going to have a vaccine by the end of April. We're not going to have one by the end of May. We're not going to have one by the end of June. We're not going to have one by the end of July. Even if they got one, they need like a year to test the thing out. We can either keep America locked down and become a third world nation, or we will have to figure out a way to function as a nation while living with this virus. I understand that makes you uncomfortable. I do. That's reality. You don't always have to listen to the good doctor. I'm not going to go 
history number two, although I know most of you would love that. But I am gravely concerned about something that I'm seeing out there right now. Gravely concerned. What a great word that is for me, Chris. That's like an important what that's an important word that, that smart people say, right? Gravely. I learned it this morning. But anyway, I am I I'm trying to think of the best way to put this <laughs> in a way that's not going to get me in trouble. I am worried that the politicians in this country, not just politicians, I guess I should say, the powerful people in this country are getting way, way too comfortable dictating to the rest of the country how things are going to be and abusing people who are not in power. And that gets... Look, that goes to human nature. Depending on who you are, depending on what your character is, look, the truth of the matter is so many people are awful once they get some power in their hands. I mean, how many stories have you heard throughout history of presidents, kings, celebrities, treating the people underneath them, treating the people who work for them horribly? The problem is eventually you end up like Louis the Fourteenth, and your head is in a guillotine because the people have had enough. And here's what I mean by that when I'm talking about us. No, I don't think anybody's going to be, you know, holding out the guillotines here. But here's what I worry about. Two headlines I saw this morning. On top of the Dr. Fauci wants a national lockdown. When we already have people rebelling against the lockdown, we already have sheriffs saying they won't enforce it. We already have mayors saying this is wrong. And we have citizens all over the place, including me, saying it's flat out un-American. Now I see these two headlines, and I have to be honest, my jaw dropped. And I thought to myself, as soon as I saw them, I thought, are these people completely out of their minds? You have a public right now, whether it be scared of the virus or scared of their livelihoods being wiped out or both. Most people, it's both. You have people who are scared and desperate and watching bills pile up and maybe they know somebody who's sick. And and, and, I mean, it's they're desperate. They're scared. They are getting angry. And I see this. Chris sends me these, and I, I honestly, I was like, wow. First one. Some in the U.S. may not get stimulus checks until August. I'm not making that up. The, the article goes, the federal government expects to begin making payments to, of million, or to millions of Americans under the new stimulus law in mid-April. But some people without direct deposit information may not get checks until mid-August or later, according to a memo obtained by the Associated Press. The document from the House Ways and Means Committee says the IRS will make about 60 million payments to Americans through direct deposit in mid-April, likely the week of April 13th. The IRS has direct deposit information for these individuals from their 2018-2019 tax returns. 
Then, starting starting the week of May 4th, the IRS will begin issuing paper checks to individuals, says the memo obtained by the AP. The paper checks will be issued at a rate of about $5 million per week, which means it could take up to 20 weeks to get all the checks out. That timeline would delay some checks until the week of August 10th. So... You have people out there starving. You have people already waiting in line at the emergency food banks. You've cost them their jobs. You have cost them their jobs. Look, you can argue justified or not. You know my thoughts on it. But you have purposely said to them, you are fired. And they know you've said that. And you're telling them, oh, that money I promised? It'll be there in August. Oh, and by the way, they can't even control that now unless you gave the IRS your direct deposit information past couple years, you're screwed. You can't even call and give it to them now. I need my money now. Uh, Here's my direct deposit information. Nope. Either they already have it or you're screwed. So I see that. I see that headline combined with this next headline. And I have to tell you, man, I am... This is what makes me worried that we're going to see some desperate people do some crazy things. Headline, Ford wants government to sponsor cash for clunkers type program. The high points are, this is from Justin Sullivan, Ford is looking to ask the U.S. government stimulus program to fight back against loss of sales due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The news service quoted Ford marketing VP Mark Lanave as saying Ford wants some level of stimulus, which could mean a cash for clunkers type plan like the one used in 2009. Do you have any idea how much the American people are going to lose their freaking minds if the government starts essentially stroking huge checks to major major corporations when small businesses have been lined up on the ditch and shot in the back of the head? Do you, have you all lost your freaking minds? This is not 2009. We are not dealing with the financial bubble that blew because of the housing market and everything else. We are dealing with something entirely new. And I, I feel like that's the problem people are not wrapping their minds around. There's not a precedent for what we're seeing. And again, you can argue whether it's justified or not justified all day long. That's fine. But there is not a precedent for the U.S. government, for state governments, for local governments to point to citizens and say, you have to stay in your home. To point to businesses and say, you will close. If you open, I'll place you under arrest. If you see your fellow citizens out and about, you will report them and the police will come place them under arrest. There's not a precedent for that in the United States of America. This is not 2009. And right now, I fully admit this, even though I think it's crazy, right now, these politicians 
have some leeway for that because people were so scared of this virus. There's an expiration date on that. There's an expiration date on how long people are going to be more scared than they are angry. You cannot order this business to close and order this person essentially fired and then turn around and say, oh, your check that we were writing you, it'll be there in August. And you know what else? I think we're going to write a check to Ford. They look like they're hurting. And hey, that's not an indictment on Ford. I drive a Ford. But part of my huge concern with this whole thing throughout is the the massive shifting of our economy, a, a generational shift from small businesses to only the major corporations who are able to survive. Only major corporations who can take out big lines of credit, who can cover the payroll, who have these things. You go ahead and start stroking checks to Ford. See how that works out for you. to have a very, very frank conversation here, and it's not going to be popular. You should be boiling your hot dogs. Am I, is that a crazy stance, Chris? And uh, believe me, I've been as easygoing on this as possible. I will tell you, I've had plenty of times in my house where I've even microwaved my hot dog. You wrap it up. Stop, Chris. It's not that bad. It's still a hot dog. You wrap it in a paper towel, nuke it for 20, 25 seconds. It's okay. Fine. And I've grilled hot dogs too. I've put a little wiener on a stick and roasted them over, over fire too. I'm fine with hot dogs in several forms, but let's just be honest. You want the plumpest, Juiciest hot dog you can find. You need to boil them. Is that is that a crazy stance? Which leads me to my second thing. Bacon. We have become a society of lazy people. And what I mean by that is, I brought up that all bacon should be fried in a pan. And it should. Maybe on low heat. I do mine on low heat. It takes longer. But I find the bacon comes out better. And the last time I brought this up, I got scolded by people who tried to tell me, dude, it's way easier if you just bake it in the oven. 
Come on. You're better than that. You are an American. You don't bake your bacon ever for any reason. For any reason. So I just had to get that off my chest. Well, Chris, I had to get it off my chest. The family. (laughs) So we have a different schedule now because the show's, you know, the show's just different schedules moved around. So I get home in time last night. And I've got my boys working out. I, I, I understand this is controversial. And not everybody does this. I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. I will tell you in my house. I'm a big believer in physical activity for punishment. I'm a huge, especially for boys. I don't have girls. It's not my job to tell you how to raise your girls. I don't know about that. But for boys, I think it's the best thing in the world for them. I did spank my kids when they were younger. I believe in it all the way. I think they're kind of too old for that now. They're 9 and 11. But again, I'm not telling you how to raise yours. But one thing I love is when it's punishment time, go run the stairs. We have, you know, it's nothing fancy. There's, uh, We have like this half room upstairs in our house. But there's 15, 20 stairs on the way up there probably. Go run the stairs five times. Then when you get down here, start doing jumping jacks. Start doing push-ups. And you know what's funny? Is I never really thought about the fact, but I blatantly ripped that off from boot camp in the Marine Corps, from the Marine Corps in general. Because that's what you do. People don't realize in the Marine Corps... In boot camp, they have you have a barracks room. Like you've seen Full Metal Jacket. You have a giant you know what a barracks room looks like. It's this gigantic, relatively long place with a bunch of bunk beds set up. And boot camp is all these drill instructors screaming at you in the face, and you're standing on the line there in your underwear as you get chewed out. And they have this area at the front. It's called the quarter deck. Now, I, I don't understand why they call it the quarter deck. I'm sure they explained it to us, but I never really paid that much attention, so I don't know. But it's called the quarter deck. And they would, gosh, what the heck did they call it? I can't even remember what they called it right now. But they would, well, anytime you screwed up, or frankly, anytime they even just decided they wanted to abuse you, they would tell you, Get on my quarter deck. And I was up there a lot. And I mean, I was up there a lot. And look, the truth of the matter is most of the time, especially in situations like that, the best thing you can do is blend in. Honestly, you don't want to be too good. I mean, you want to be the best you can be. I'm supposed to say that, but you don't want to be the too good. You don't want to be too bad. You don't want to be too tall. You don't want to be too short. You just want to blend in. Well, most Marines are pretty short. Guess what they saw when they looked down the line at a bunch of Marines lined up? There I was, six foot five at the time. I grew three inches the first year. I'm six eight now. But there I was, six foot five. And so they would walk by me and just glare at me and, and scream at me to go get on the quarter deck and just abuse me. And I had this buddy, Garcia. Gosh, he was one of the funniest people ever. He got to boot camp. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not making this up, Chris. He was too fat, and he knew he was too fat. 
He used to purposely screw up so they'd go thrash him on the quarter deck so he could lose weight. <laughs> Gosh. All right, there you go. I love my privacy. I know you love your privacy too. And when I get home at night, yes, I love pulling into my house. I love going in to see the fam. But I will tell you, especially since I took my tour of Texas Grand Ranch, I dream of pulling in my driveway, getting out of my truck, and just hearing nothing. Just nature. Just a little wind blowing through the trees. Maybe some birds chirping. Maybe go inside, grab a fishing pole and my sons and go fishing in the National Forest. Yes, that's not a fairy tale. That's real real life at Texas Grand Ranch. How about a 2,000-acre state park in your backyard? It's that incredible. Two to five-acre home sites starting at just $59.9 and buying incentives throughout April. Call Texas Grand Ranch today, 844-LAND-600. That's 844-LAND-600, texasgrandinfo.com. so funny about uh, so much of the things I've read about when it comes to wars and battles and things like that. I mean, something that stands out to me from so many of these. I'll tell you in one second. Big man, huh? A big one. We need big ideas and we need them now. What a good idea. This is the Jesse Kelly Show on KPRC 950. Here's Jesse Kelly. Chris, I'm going to miss that song. When we, just for those of you who are not aware, when we go national, we're coming up with our with our different music. We're going to have our own, you know, shows music. 
But don't worry. I know a lot of you love the songs we play for you. Those are all going to stay. We're still going to be jamming out to rock and bluegrass and, and I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's all going to be here. Don't worry. But just for the show intro, I'm going to miss it. Chris, do you have it? Uh, play it. I want to hear I want to hear it from the beginning. The song is I Just Want to Make Love to You by Foghat. Do you have that from the beginning? I want to hear it one time just to reminisce to you because that, that time, that you playing it there for an intro is the last time I ever get intro to it. Oh, yes. Turn it up. Turn it up. that what do you call the songs you play when like the segment's starting there's a there's a word you guys use for that that's bumper music i should i I guess i should tell everybody i don't actually know anything about the radio industry at all everybody knows i did not grow up in this i don't know that they're always sending me these things because we have to set up all these things for a national show. And so all these syndication guys in these different stations we're going to be on across the country, they're sending Chris and me, you know, all these emails. Uh, we need more bumper music. We have to do these liners and we have to do the. And I am like, what does that mean? I don't know what any of those words mean. And the bad part is the bad part is they look at me like I'm joking and I'm trying to reinforce the fact that, I don't understand what these words mean. I don't understand what that means. I was just talking to Chris during the break about the show and how we have to switch certain things around because we're national now. Well, we'll be national on Monday and all these other things. And Chris says, well, yeah, I mean, and plus we're, we're doing it on analog now instead of digital. And I said, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. I have no idea what that means at all. Is the show still on? We're, we're still on, right? Nobody has ever, I've never been told like how to do this or what to do here. Anything you see that I do right is most likely Michael Berry sitting me down and saying, you need to do this. You need to do that. But I've never been taught like a one-on-one course on the basics of this. I sat down. They gave me a microphone and these little headphones and they said, be entertaining. And for some Unknown reason you have enjoyed it, but I don't, I don't, I don't obla, Chris. I don't obla the radio stuff. That means, that means uh right or something in, in, in Mexico. Anyway, couple things. As I was doing what they call a tease. See, I learned that word at the end of last hour. Something I find that's so funny. You know how much I watch documentaries because I'm a nerd or I read about different battles and wars and, you know, mafia stuff and all the stuff you love, all the stuff I love. You love what I love. Why the show's 
you know, taken off like it has. One thing that has always struck me so much of the time, so much of the time, you shouldn't do anything. If you would just do nothing when your opponent is screwing up or when things are going bad for him, you'd be totally fine. Just do nothing. (coughs) Do nothing. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. I don't think that's exactly how Sun Tzu put it. But it is breathtaking when you go through these these battles. And what will happen is somebody will, you know, Army A is going into battle. And that the general for Army A has this plan. Well, we are definitely going to put our our, our cavalry on the left side. And we're going to have the heavy infantry in the middle. That's what we're going to do. I've got a good plan. And then the enemy army, Army B, comes up. And they have totally screwed everything up. And if you would just take your, if you would just leave everything, you know, as it is, you'd be fine and they'd be screwed. But instead he looks and he thinks, oh, I've, I've got to react. I have to react to what they're doing. No, you shouldn't. I get in this conversation all the time with people. You see this. With all my political pundit friends, you know, other radio hosts, people on cable news, politicians, everybody knows I know a bunch of congressmen. They text me. We talk about certain things. And this is what I hear so much. And you all need to hear this because this is not this is not a radio thing. This is not a political pundit thing. This is not a Congress thing. This applies to your life. Very, very, very much so. At your job. They'll call or they'll text me. It'll be like, so-and-so is saying this about me. He's saying it. He's saying I don't care about poor people. What should I do? Nothing. No, what do you mean nothing? I I have to do something. He has to, he can't, people are going to think that. Really? No. The people who listen to him, who probably already agree with him, sure, they're going to say that. They probably hated you anyway. If you choose to address it, now you've taken the thing that he's saying and you've amplified it to all the people who follow you. Whereas it just would have been his own little world. Now you've expanded it to two worlds. You don't always have to react. If your enemy's being an idiot, even if they're talking bad about you, if they're saying something terrible, or maybe you even screwed up. And they're all piling on you. Just shut up. Just shut up and let it all pass. This is the era of the 24-hour attention span. That's the generation we're living in now because everything is super served. Just shut up and let it pass. I heard that Tammy in accounting was talking to Bill over over in HR and that Tammy told Bill that I've been drinking too much and I haven't had a drink in over a year. So I'm going to go talk to Bill about it right now. And then I'm going to go talk to, you don't, you don't have to do any of that. Just keep doing what you're doing. The truth will come out in the end. 
The proof is in the pudding. My neighbor, my neighbor, Jill, she told my other neighbor, Sarah, that our kids were smoking pot and my kids have never smoked pot and I'm going to march over there. For one, your kids probably are smoking pot. Two, you don't just let it go. If she's a gossipy bee, she's going to be a gossipy bee before or after you rant about it on Facebook. And so when I see this group of people screwing up this way, I'm just marveling. Marveling. I'll tell you who in a second. it off Chris do not turn it off yet this is our last show where we get to let the music run way too long you know what keep the song on through the whole segment I'm not done yet what just turn it down a little bit I want it alright now what are Americans concerned about right now money job Pandemic. You know what Joe Biden called for yesterday? Remember how I told you you should just shut up and do nothing sometimes? Joe Biden yesterday called on the United States to ease sanctions with Iran. (laughs) Gosh, he is honestly, he's so bad at this. He is so bad at this. Not a single person in the United States of America woke up this morning and thought, I hope Iran's doing all right. (laughs) Not one. Not one person. And Joe Biden woke up and thought, you know what? We're going to get Trump today. Let's let's talk about Iran. (laughs) What an absolute moron. On top of that. See, I combine headlines sometimes, Chris. It's called storytelling. Learn it. Read a book. On top of that, Nancy Pelosi. Obviously, she's widely, widely despised. She just is. She has a very, very, very safe seat. She has been a Washington power broker for a long time. So she's got favors built up everywhere. That's why she keeps being Speaker of the House, even though the entire country hates her. Let's just understand that. But she does not have the pulse of the American people. She's worth like $250 million from San Francisco. (laughs) And so 
That's why she continues to screw everything up so badly. The impeachment was a disaster for her party. Approval ratings fell through the floor. Disaster. It was. It just, politically, it was disastrous. Then, with the nation desperate and scared to death, she tries to cram a pay raise and money for the Kennedy Center for the Arts in a coronavirus relief bill. She did that, and the whole nation blamed her for it. Now, she's starting a coronavirus task force as a, quote, tremendous political opportunity to take the helm of a pandemic. (laughs) And essentially, this is what she's doing. She's starting a House task force to investigate Donald Trump's conduct during the coronavirus disaster. On top of starting a House task force to do this, she's putting in charge of that House task force, James Clyburn. I need to explain to you for a moment who James Clyburn is. James Clyburn is a congressman from South Carolina. He has been a congressman from South Carolina For about 10,000 years. James Clyburn is a heavy, heavy hitter in the state of South Carolina. Immensely powerful. I know that doesn't mean anything to most people because we don't necessarily, we're not involved on the inside of Democrat politics. But when Clyburn came out and endorsed Joe Biden before South Carolina, a lot of people said it won South Carolina for Joe Biden. The guy is a big deal in South Carolina. Here's the problem. America is not South Carolina, and James Clyburn is an utter moron and completely out of touch with the American people. It was only a couple weeks ago before all this disaster hit. I think it was maybe a month ago. Clyburn goes on the news because the employment numbers were so great back then. And Clyburn says to the news, he says this on the news, well, black people had great employment during slavery, too. I'm not making that up. He's, he's, that's a real person. So you're going to have this hyper-partisan moron heading a task force to investigate Trump's response to coronavirus, thus making something that has everybody scared and uncertain and angry a completely political thing. That may sound like a great, a great idea, it's a terrible idea. The one reason Trump's approval ratings, they've, they've pulled all this. The one reason his approval ratings have been through the roof on his response to the coronavirus thing is he has not made it political. People do not want to hear Trump giving daily press briefings and saying, well, Nancy Pelosi's an idiot and this is her fault. I love to hear that. You love to hear that. In general, people do not want to hear that. The last thing the American people want right now is the House to start making this a political deal, start another investigation. And part of the reason this is so incredibly dumb is, I mean, do these morons realize that Donald Trump is very likely going to be in trouble this November? I understand that makes so many of you angry. I'm not, it's not my want. 
All right, you can call and scream at me all you want. It's not my wants. I want four more years of Trump. You do understand that at, at 30% unemployment, Trump's chances are less than 50% to get reelected. Trump won nationwide last time. Yeah, but it was about 50,000 votes. My email inbox, do you know what it's been full of for the past two weeks? I'm not voting for Trump again. I'm not voting for Trump again. I'm so mad at Trump. Now I'm unemployed. I'm going to stay home in November. I'm never voting for Trump again. I understand that makes you mad. I understand you're screaming at the radio right now. Say, what are you going to vote for Biden? People, I'm not saying it. I'm telling you what I'm hearing. As I've been warning all along, yes, the American people support Trump's response to the coronavirus. You can support it or not support it. That's not what I'm saying. A political reality is simply this. In a country that is so close, I mean, the difference between Trump being president and Hillary being president, I mean, it's a hair. In a difference like that, when it's that close, when you have... 30 million people unemployed, which we are coming for, and that's probably light. They're already estimating 40 to 50 million. Those people do not go back to the polls and say, I want four more years of this. You can argue that's irrational. You can yell and scream about it. That's a fact. Unless Democrats manage to screw it up. I'm going to read you something. This is uh, from an owner of a brewery. And it's his, he put up a blog post. This is from a few days ago. But I'm reading it to you. You know I don't read much on here. I'm not big on reading. But you need to hear it because we need to remember right now that there are already casualties from the economic shutdown. Yes, you're getting the 24 hours a day tracking of the new coronavirus casualties and this many deaths and the, we're flattening the curve. It, there are real casualties. So here it is. It's, this is the haulers from the hauler, WordPress. It's their, it's their blog. Hello from semi-self-quarantine in Harris County. We are now under stay-home, work-safe order, which is something between do whatever you want and shelter in place. We've personally decided to treat it as the latter, leaving our house as little as possible to get essential supplies like bricks for our pizza oven that we're building in the backyard. 
Our business, Holler Brewing Company, is now in hibernation. Hibernation. As a drought-only operation, our two sales channels are the tap room and drought beer accounts, both of which are essentially shut down for an indefinite period of time. No sales anytime soon. This is a daunting scenario, one that many businesses are facing that will force some of them to permanently close. Many restaurants, bars, and breweries have responded by devising to-go operations to generate some income, creating a citywide mosaic of drive through operations that's cropped up overnight. We did too. We opened a beer-to-go drive through operated by our staff, complete with online ordering and with all proceeds going to pay the staff. Initially unsure whether this would be successful, we were overwhelmed by the response we got from our friends and fans. We ran the shop from Friday to Sunday, and over that weekend, we raised enough money to give our staff a good severance pay. At that point, we let almost all the staff go and decided to keep running the drive through operation, but with proceeds going to the brewery. We agreed with the remaining staff to take it day by day, and after one day, coinciding with the stay home work, work safe order, we agreed to shut it down. This was a difficult decision as we had inventory to sell and the SHWS order did not bar us from doing so. In fact, it seems like pretty much every other business has continued operating their drive through and I don't blame them at all. However, Catherine and I had personally stopped venturing out, thus we certainly didn't feel right compelling our two employees to continue coming to work. But even our boots on the ground had grown a bit weary with our right-hand man, George, agreeing that now would be a good time to close. So we're in hibernation mode at the moment. Our revenues have gone to zero, so we've done everything we can to drive our expenses as close to zero as possible. We've stopped brewing. We're gradually transferring everything into our serving tanks, leaving our fermenters clean and without need for power. The grain we have on hand will keep for months, except the flake oats, which we gave to a nearby brewery who's still operating. Our employees have all been furloughed, laid off with the intention of hiring them back as soon as we can. This was by far the hardest thing we've had to do since we started this company, and yet I know it was more difficult for the staff, some of whom have come to depend on this income. However, being able to give a couple weeks severance pay eased our pain and hopefully theirs too. We've slashed our subscriptions and services everywhere possible. Satellite TV, Spotify, 401k plan, dental insurance, auto insurance, janitorial service, workers comp, Netflix, software packages, and the internet. There was very little deliberation in all this. Every one of those threatens our survival by burning cash, and survival is all that matters. We also switched our health care from a traditional insurer to a cost-sharing plan, cutting our monthly health care costs by more than 50%. Perhaps some of these changes will stick even if we do survive. We'll need internet, of course, but do we really need dental insurance? That 401k plan was fun when we rolled it out, but most of our employees weren't using it, and it requires significant fixed costs and administrative overhead. Perhaps our business is better off without these, or perhaps we'll find a more efficient solution. This is the beautiful process of creative destruction, in this case brought about by a very ugly disaster. As a forest fire clears the dead brush to strengthen the ecosystem, an economic recession clears bad investments, bad loans, and bad companies to strengthen the economy in the long run. That is, unless our government attempts to counteract this tendency with a host of bailouts. We have a lot of bills come due. Supplies purchased in the last six weeks, credit card balances, sales tax collected in February, and we've settled them up. Beyond that, We don't know how we'll survive.
There's some helpful information in that. That's the reason I chose to read you something. Helpful information on cutting your costs. I would obviously encourage everybody to do so. Not that a small business owner needs that from me. But the fact that they're all staring at the clock right now is probably what gets to me most. They're all trimming. They're all staring at these profit loss sheets they get. And for those of you who've never looked at it, a profit loss sheet is just, you know, these are your expenses. This is the money you have coming in. This is the money you have going out and where all that's coming from. And they're looking and they're thinking, I guess if we could, let's see, we can cut Netflix. Uh, Obviously we have to fire everybody. And let me explain something that sounds cold hearted. A lot of these small businesses, one, they're weeping when they're firing their employees. Small businesses get very close with the people who work there. Everybody's not Microsoft. As an owner, you are, your employees are family. I've been involved in a small business. Your employees are your family. It's not like, ah, Bob, you're fired. Pack up your stuff and leave. It's, it's, it's devastating for you and them. But a lot of these businesses are crushed when they do it. They're doing it so the employees can can file for unemployment and actually get paid something. And they're doing it because so much of the time, part of the reason you're seeing these mass layoffs is so much of the time when it comes to business, people don't like hearing this because it sounds cool, but I'm telling you how business works. That labor, that's the gigantic black mark. What you have to pay employees is the gigantic black mark. I'm not saying don't pay employees. You have to. A good day's work deserves a good day's wage. But that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. You're looking at that profit loss with no revenues, even with severely reduced revenues. And you got to can them. And part of the reason that struck me is what I've been telling you. They're slashing costs, slashing this. They're removing their dental insurance. And this is this is taking place nationwide, big and small businesses right now. I just got word this morning, Neiman Marcos is considering filing for bankruptcy. Neiman Marcos. The problem is, even when you slash, you can't get to zero. And if revenues are at zero, the clock is ticking. Stuttering, cold and damp Still the warm wind's tired friend Times are gone for honest men Sometimes far too long for This is our last segment ever when we're only on KPRC of Houston. Now, we're all we're not going anywhere, KPRC listeners. Don't you worry. We'll always love you. But now, again, as I said, this is now becoming an open radio marriage. Monday, 
We are national. Nationwide, baby. North, south, east, and west. And that's really freaking cool. Chris, I need some jet airliner from the beginning. I'm just going to leave everything silent until he punches it up. That's good radio. You leave people in suspense. Turn it up, Chris. Turn it up. Straightforward and easy. And they don't work. They don't work. It wouldn't work. You remember when we had all those radical Islamic terror incidents all over the world, including here in America? This is when ISIS was sending people all over, influencing people all over the place. We had that horrible horrible one in in Paris, uh, uh, the Bataclan Theater one, the one in Nice. We had the Orlando shooting here. We, I mean, there were so many all over the planet. And people were freaking out. And nobody was madder than me, believe me. Nobody was madder than me. But you would get people who would say things like, let's just kill all the Muslims. And that sounds so simple and so straightforward. Wow, we just kill There's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. And if you even attempted to do that, people don't like hearing this, but you really would create just a whole bunch more terrorists. It's not, it's not a solution. Uh, setting aside the horrific... <laughs> The absolute horrific fact that you're calling for genocide, <laughs> that's not eh, not good. You can't do that. And we're going to have, on the back end of this whole coronavirus thing that we're going to come out of, we will. We're going to come out of it. We're going to have, we're going to have people calling for solutions that are going to sound really nice. And we can't do it, man. Or in the very least, if we're going to do it, you better understand that that comes with a penalty. I'm hearing things already from people that are saying, we, we should go to war with China. This means war. Okay. You know I'm not exactly a pacifist. I am a bit of a non-interventionist. I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination. Do, do, do you know what a hot war with a nuclear power of one billion people looks like? Do you have any idea what that looks like? That's... That's American cities glowing in the dark. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's just not, it's not something you can do. And even things that sound reasonable and things I even agree with, 
this uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, who I actually, I mean, I don't know. That would be, <laughs> I can't say that I know her. Back when I was running for Congress in Tucson, you get all these, all these, uh, all these, you know, up and coming, I'll, I'll say this, ambitious congressmen. They want, they want people in Congress who owe them favors. If you're somebody who wants to be voted into leadership, you're somebody who wants to lead a group of congressmen, you find people running for Congress and you fly out there and raise them money. Yes, oftentimes it's out of the goodness of your heart. But yes, there's another thing there. That person, if elected, I mean, what if I'd gotten elected? I only lost by 4,000 votes. Would I ever buck Marsha Blackburn publicly? Either way, she's calling for us to not pay our Chinese debt. China owns $1 trillion of our debt. And that sounds nice. It does. Sounds really nice. What do you think happens to our credit rating with the rest of the world if we look at one country and say, I'm just not paying you back? Beware of the simple solution. Texas Grand Ranch is still open every single day. They have brand new state park lots, which are open, which gives you a 2,000-acre backyard. And they have massive buying incentives throughout April. Look, you've seen interest rates right now. Don't mess around. They have two to five-acre lots starting at just $59.9. Two acres is like having two football fields. They have a state park on one side, national forest on the other side, meaning the privacy you buy at Texas Grand Ranch is the privacy you keep. Low taxes, no mud tax. The Houston Chronicle calls it the next great wooded community for a reason. Just north of the woodlands, exit 102. Go take your tour of Texas Grand Ranch. And again, don't worry about being safe. They're taking all the necessary precautions. They've got you covered. Call 844-LAND-600. That's 844-LAND-600. Or they have a great website. Go to texasgrandinfo.com. I'm as mad at China as you are. I am. You're not going to have a hot war with China. At least you better pray we don't. And you can't look at them and say, we're not paying your $1 trillion back. In a vacuum, I would love to say that. But the rest of the world looks at that and says, I'm not buying any U.S. debt. 
Because they're just going to get mad one day and tell me to go pound sand? That's going to be a no for me. Consequences are far-reaching. Beware of the simple solution. I will see you all on Monday. Nationwide, baby. Nationwide. help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare, they tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country. Heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes. Our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T, Dot org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to its programs.
Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries, or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chalk, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chalk for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time 